Yo, this is Aaron of Com, and I want to talk to you about accountability. Okay, internet. What's the definition of... Well, Aaron, before I explain that, make sure the listeners know that this is part two of episode five. They should definitely listen to episodes one to 5.1 before this wonderfully emotional conclusion. You think it's emotionally wonderful, yeah? I said wonderfully. Emotional, not emotionally wonderful. There is a difference. Cool. Let's get straight into it. I felt out of my depth when I began this podcast and I was nervous as I booked the flights. But both of these journeys have to come to an end. Nerves aside, I coached myself and grew my confidence as time for the trip approached. A few friends had told me I was being brave, but a large part of the world was literally burning. And the night before travelling, I saw 1917 and IMAX. So in comparison, bravery felt like a bit of an overstatement. As I arrived in St. Vincent, I felt calm. A mission is a mission and there was no turning back now. Though the night before going to see him, I couldn't write or create. The only thing my body could focus on was running on the beach and feeling the ocean. But what had I learned? I thought of all of my guests from the podcast and what we'd practiced. I thought of Dario's reminder to live in the now now and Fabian's ability to embrace her demons. I thought of Pablo's wisdom and channeled the strength of my community. I thought of Rose's bravery and honesty. I thought of my mum finding her new family at 40 and raising us with no parenting of her own. The morning of, my stomach was twisted. Meeting my distant sister eased the anxiety a little until she revealed that no one apart from her knew I was on the island. She had decided a surprise was a nice idea, but I was worried that after so long, it would look like an ambush. I tried to prepare myself. What would I ask him? Would I get angry? Would I cry? Have you seen the episode of Fresh Prince where Uncle Phil takes Will in his arms? Or Goodwill Hunting when Robin Williams embraces Matt Damon and says, it's not your fault. Yeah, you know the scenes. Would I become a sniffling Will Smith or a blubber out loud Will Hunting? Where there's a Will, there's a way through. I can definitely do this. This is just one day and after it, I can get on with the rest of my life. I realize how excited I am for this year. Adventures with my event production crew, House of Dinosaur, writing songs and traveling with Son of Kong and performing with the fellas. Today was just one bit of punctuation. I was greeted at the door of a big house by an auntie. I wish you could have seen her face. First shock and then a smile. Freckles, she recalled. We quickly caught up, but honestly, I don't remember what was said. I just wondered if he could hear me at the door. Auntie Chloe led me through a corridor to a room with a bed and an open window for the breeze, family flowing in behind. There would be no anger, no profound questions, and at first I thought no conversation at all. 
In the bed was an old, old man, asleep, laying almost fetal. A soft brown sheet of skin covering his thick, thin legs and arms. A thin cotton sheet covering him. His skeletal face and forearms poked out of the top. Hands hidden under piles of pillows cocooning his head. Auntie Chloe knew how to wake him. Mr. Mr. Edwards, somebody here to see you. As his eyes opened slowly, I said the only thing I'd prepared, rehearsed walking up the hill towards the house, thinking to myself, this could be like the movies. I heard there's a man around here with my name who looks like me, without a pause. Better looking than you. Fuck, that was quick. But he couldn't have known who said it or why. Cancer had his body, but not his mind. Everything he said after his initial lightning-fast quip was one level above a whisper. He was too frail for this scene to play out the way it had in the script of young, angry Aaron, and I was tired too. Just grateful to have made it there and to sit with him. Of an hour-long stay, the first 15, family filled the room and interrupted with cold drinks and cake. I love cake, but this was not the time for cake. We only had five clear minutes alone and I felt a little cheated. Even though he never lifted his head, he could tell when the room was empty. Is it just you? he asked. I nodded. He inhaled sharply as if something was coming. As if to cry. Here it comes, I thought. He just fell asleep. I sniggered, feeling cheated again. It woke him and his dull but colourful eyes searched my face for a sense of time past. He said, This old man is on his way out. You see half a man before you. These days are long. In one last attempt at being a father and talk to me man to man, he offered some advice. Make sure you put something aside for later in life. And he asked me, How many little ones? I smiled back, none yet. I responded with so much more in my head and I wondered why I held back. I hated myself a little bit for that. How many have you had? Earlier over a beer, my sister and I had counted eight. His answer was 12 or 13. 12 or 13. You don't know or you don't care. I told him I was glad that he had met my mother. And I thanked him for giving me life. He just exhaled in acknowledgement. I hadn't missed out on anything. Our deadline was 5pm. At 5 to 5, I asked if we could shake. I lifted the pillow next to his head and the hands that were hidden below were young man's hands, just like mine. The only thing about him plump and full of life. Placing my hand in his own, His fingers flickered, and I think he did his best to clasp. In my chest, I said I forgave him. And in the room, I said goodbye.
This project is dedicated to other men's fathers. The ones who stepped up and made themselves accountable and the dear friends who saw what I needed and shared their fathers with me. To Luke, my stepfather as a kid who taught me to build and fly kites. You said to me, it's okay to call me dad if you want to. To Josh, my sweet, sweet brother who picked me up most days from school, kept me out of trouble and went through it on the streets of Broccoli so I didn't have to. To Oscar, my next-door neighbour who left a crack in the fence and secretly topped up my pocket money. To Fawakan, my godfather, who taught me to use tools and to sculpt anything my mind could think of with clay. To Michael, father to my oldest friend Renarko, who taught me when to be serious and when to be silly. To Philippe, father to Alex, who gave me my first freelance opportunities. To August, father to my surrogate brothers Ash and Dario from episode one, who brought me on stage around the world to open his shows. To Pablo, Adisa and Tokes, who continue to support young black men in the community in London through the Origin Project. And many, many more. So, what's your definition of an... <laughs> what's your definition of accountability? What will you be accountable for? How honest can you be with yourself and those that surround you? How will you confront your creative barriers? What can you do for your community? Are you giving love to yourself and those that need it? Are you open to receiving it and do you believe you're worthy of love? Have you found out everything you need to know about your parents, brothers and sisters or your children? And do you think they'd mind if you asked? I hope to have children someday and if that becomes true and if you're listening, feel free to ask me anything. I'll put the kettle on. We'll sit down with all of our demons and I'll tell you how a microphone, a laptop and a little help from my friends helped me to make the biggest journey of my life and find peace. Thank you for listening. Live guitar by Danny McIntyre Loveridge. Original theme music by Stoney Browder Jr. Featured music, Tell Me Daddy by Son of Kong. Take Me As Far As I Can Go by Willie McGee. My name is Aaron Mavinga. If you'd like to connect and share anything regarding this series of podcasts or any other project, then you can find me on Instagram at Aaron of Kong. giants fall and hit the ground, they make the sweetest, softest sound. Peace.